Welcome in to the best in paranormal programming. This is Darkness Radio. I'm your host, Tim Dents. Well, it's been a strange new year already. I'll tell you that much. Um, at least it's been strange for me. I'll explain why here in a little bit, maybe in the as we get into the program a little bit. Uh, but Bruiser's not with us today, and that's okay. So we're going to bring in a different co-host, a co-host I'm kind of partial to. It's anniversary week, so we might as well work in everybody into this mix. Uh, so without further ado, let's bring in one of my favorite co-hosts. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome back to the program, Jessica Freeberg. Jessica, hey. it's a Supernatural News and Parisher Wednesday. So who better, Jess, than to bring you back and say hi? Hey, what's happening? Well, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. How's your 2004 treating you so far? Two days in and so far so good. Knock on wood. Yeah. Mine's been strange. Uh, What's going on? Well, you know what? Well, let's jump into the program. We can get into 2004s <laughs> here in a bit because we are going to, we are going to, you know what? One of the things I like about the beginning of the year is the, this whole prediction thing. You know how psychics come out of the woodwork? This is kind of their time of the year. They like to yes. th throw the predictions against the wall. And almost none of them stick, right? <laughs> so uh, we've got just a little tiny mini prediction segment today of different segment or different psychics that have come aboard and said this is what they think for is going to happen for the year 2024. So we're going to have a little mini prediction segment later on in the program. Sounds fun. Yeah. So we'll talk 2024. And my 2024 in the, and keep in mind, we're, we're taping this on Tuesday uh, for your Wednesday. Um, keep in mind that my 2024 in just two days has been hectic. I won't say it's been disastrous. Nothing's disastrous. Thank goodness. Yeah. But it's been a hectic 2024. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little later in the program. I'll tell you what you can look forward to other than just predictions today. Uh, by gosh, we've got movement on the UFO front already in just two days. Ooh. Go figure. We've got some creepy stuff coming up as well. Just today, we've got we've got cryptid stuff to talk about, believe it or not, in 2024. And a haunted painting that made big news in 2023 already is making news in 2024 because the people who got a hold of it said, it's cursed. We knew it was cursed when we got it, but we don't want it anymore. <laughs> so we'll talk about that as well in today's program. All right. But first, let's talk about the U.S. military. While everybody was busy celebrating the holidays, they decided they were going to take off on a secretive mission to space believe it or not. A U.S. military space plane blasted off on a secretive mission, which is expected to last years. The U.S. military has launched its secret space plane on another mission that's expected to last at least a couple of years. The U.S. military's X-37B space plane blasted off last Thursday on another secretive mission that's at least going to last a couple of years like previous missions the reusable plane resembling a mini space shuttle carried classified experiments there's no one on board no one jess unmanned unwoman what? unmonkeyed <laughs> Un i was gonna say no monkeys no dogs no nothing i guess not uh the space plane took off aboard spacex's falcon heavy rocket from NASA's Kennedy Space Center at night, more than two weeks late because of technical issues, 
It marked the seventh flight of an X-37B, which has logged more than 10 years in orbit since its debut in 2010. I didn't realize we had that many secret flights out there. I didn't either. There's so much secret stuff going on when it comes to outer space. That there is. The last flight, the longest one yet, lasted two and a half years before ending on a runway at Kennedy a year ago. Space Force officials would not say how long this orbital test vehicle would remain aloft or what's on board other than a NASA experiment to gauge the effects of radiation on materials. Hmm. Do you think they're just trying to figure out like how long things can be up there and space bound so they can launch us all up there eventually? Maybe. I, I do have a very interesting and kinky story coming up in the next few stories Ooh. about uh, what kind of things can happen in space. Uh, <laughs> but radiation on materials is interesting. Yeah, you know, they, they are building towards getting us to another planet eventually. Why? I don't know. I think they know something that we don't. I don't want to know. I just want to stick my head in the sand and pretend none of it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I do too. I yeah. just when I think I'm having a bad day, something like this might come along where it's like, well, you know, this planet's nice, but we should probably all pack it up and think about Jupiter. Yeah, don't get too comfortable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Built by Boeing, the X-37B resembles NASA's retired space shuttles, but they're just one fourth the size at 29 feet or nine meters long. No astronauts are needed on these deals. The X-37B has an autonomous landing system. They take off vertically like rockets, but land horizontally like planes and are designed to orbit between 150 and 500 miles high. There are two X-37Bs based in a former shuttle hangar at Kennedy, so they could take off at any given time. Take off vertically, land horizontally. Sounds like me on every day. Hey, there you go. That's a, Shoot right up in the morning. You get one of those. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, there you go. Uh, our, our next story, uh, speaking of space, Jess, uh, Space Jess. That sounds like a great moniker for you if you ever decided you wanted to work for NASA. Space Jess. It's my new, it's my new band. There you go. Oh, nice. Space Jess. <laughs> I was looking uh, at, at Facebook the other day. There's actually a, a subgroup on Space, uh, space on Facebook uh, entitled That's My Band Name. Oh, fun. Yeah. And so they turn anything into a band name, uh, depending on if it's a meme or if it's an article or whatever. I, I was on that thing for like four hours the other night because it, it's just too entertaining. So, yeah, Space Jess would be a great band name. Yeah, I think you nailed that one. Uh, NASA outlines a plan to deploy burrowing cryobots on the icy moons of Saturn and Jupiter. This is, again, that radiation thing we were talking about and what they plan to do on, speaking of moving everybody to Jupiter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, NASA has laid out a roadmap or major aspects that need to be addressed while developing a robotic system that can explore icy moons with water oceans. Being that we're looking for water oceans on other planets, I think, yeah, uh, something definitely is uh, up. It's a major preparation going on right now. Yeah. NASA is building a roadmap for robots that could visit ocean worlds through future space missions and crack the world's thick icy shells to explore subsurface seas in search of life. 
Recently, the space agency revealed results from a NASA-sponsored workshop held in February of 2023 at which scientists and engineers gathered to discuss possible cryobot mission concepts. The idea is to crack through the icy exteriors of solar system moons like Jupiter's moon Europa or Saturn's moon Enceladus and to drop a probe within that can explore the underlying liquid ocean. The cryobot concept explored is an alternative to simply drilling into a world and involves using a cylindrical device dispatched from a mother unit at the surface of an icy ocean world that can melt ice and therefore slip down as water flows around it and freezes. These probes and this so-called thermal drilling technique are currently commonly employed to investigate glaciers and ice caps here on Earth, but the icy shells of worlds like Europa and Enceladus are colder and thicker. They also present behaviors that are far less predictable, hence needing robots. We need the robots. We need the probing. I was thinking it sounds like one of those doctor visits you have to drink all that stuff for before you go. <laughs> I don't know if the worlds need to drink anything before we send the bots, <laughs> but I mean, if, if they do, then we'll send something along, I guess. Gosh, now you got me thinking about exams. I, uh, <laughs> it's like an astral colonoscopy. There was a story this week about being able to see the rings on Uranus. I, I actually was going to save that one for Bruiser, but now that you're mentioning drinking something before an exam, there you go. You know, the, the James, uh, the James uh, now I forget the name of the telescope, the big one, you know, that sees everything. It's focused yeah. in on the rings of Uranus right now. So I think it's, it's had a little bit too much to drink for New Year's Eve. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Here's another story. You know, that NASA's got its eye on other worlds. A breakthrough turns NASA waste into a key for colonizing Mars. So they're taking waste and recycling, hoping that we can colonize Mars, Jess. From Jupiter to Mars. Mm -hmm. Multiple planets. We got a lot of people here. And Uranus, I mean. Well, yeah, and then Uranus as well. What are we, over eight what is it, 8 billion people now that we're over? It's more than McDonald's has served, I know that. It's a lot. Yeah. Uh, moving to Mars is now closer to reality thanks to a significant breakthrough enabling the creation of energy on the red planet. British scientists are utilizing a material previously deemed worthless to achieve what they call the most important goal in this endeavor. Once considered a waste product by NASA, a group of researchers have discovered a method for generating clean and sustainable technology from anhydrate or anhydrite rather, which is a common mineral byproduct of aluminum production. The quote here from Dr. Connor Boland is who is a lecturer in materials physics at the university of Sussex is we are optimistic of the feasibility of this process on Mars as it requires only naturally occurring materials Everything we used could, in theory, be replicated on the red planet. Arguably, this is the most important goal in making the Martian colony sustainable from the outset. Uh, for their groundbreaking work, the team employed a technique similar to NASA's method for extracting water from Martian substances. During this process, they produced anhydrite. Uh, however, it has proven to be exceedingly available. 
it, or val- rather, it has proven to be exceedingly valuable. Valuable. There we go. Uh, the researchers transformed this byproduct into nanobelts res- resembling tagliatelle-shaped materials. So these nanobelts show great promise in providing clean energy and sustainable electronics. The process is remarkably sustainable, allowing for the continuous collection and recycling of water at every stage. Interesting. Uh, This, by the way, opens avenues for sustainable technology and building on Mars, but also highlights the broader potential for eco-friendly breakthroughs here on Earth. So it has a double use. I like it. There's a lot of words in there I couldn't have pronounced, but I like what's happening. (laughs) There's a lot in there I can't pronounce either. (laughs) So how do you like that? There's uh, I think you nailed it. Well, that's what she said. Uh, (laughs) Speaking of nailing it, let's talk about Shag Harbor, shall we? Yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only that's the only segue I had there, Jess. I (laughs) I had to take it one way or another. Uh, There's a story here this week that an anonymous witness of a Shag Harbor UFO is sharing their deathbed confession or did share their deathbed confession. Uh, which is unusual because a lot of people from that time or era are not talking. Uh, The witness, also known as John Doe, was, of course, they didn't give their name on their deathbed, uh, was one of several to see a strange object over Canada more than 50 years ago. The incident, which occurred on October 4th of 1967, involved multiple witnesses who saw an unidentified object descend from the sky into the ocean a short distance from Shag Harbor, which is a small fishing village situated along the Atlantic coastline of Nova Scotia. When officers arrived at the scene, they witnessed the object, which was estimated to be around 18 meters in diameter, floating on the water with its lights still flashing. It remained visible for some time before disappearing beneath the waves. Despite extensive efforts by the Canadian Navy and its divers to locate the object on the seafloor. No trace of it was ever found, and the incident was ultimately dismissed as unexplained. Now, more than 56 years later, witnesses uh, who had observed that object at the time had contacted Unexplained Mysteries via email to describe his experience. And here it is. A photograph that he presumably captured of the object was also included I don't have that to show everybody because it's an audio podcast, but I could show you, Jess, if you'd like. It's, uh, yeah, let's see it. Here's a, it's not much of anything, to be honest with you. There it is. Okay. It's like a little dot and then a lot of darkness. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty accurate. Okay. That's, that's essentially what we're looking at. Um, but here's the way it's described. Uh, by the actual experiencer there's there was this largely brilliantly lit rectangular shaped object it came out of the water and ascended into the sky and quickly disappeared this photograph was taken roughly 30 miles away from shag harbor about a week after the incident started as far as i'm aware And to the best of my knowledge, no man-made craft or submarines possessing such technology exist. One can clearly see from the photo enlargement that this object has no visible means of propulsion, wings, engines, etc. Quite extraordinary and remarkable as to how this object moved and traveled around. I've carried this burden for over 50 years, and now it's time to set this free. 
uh, it says here, a full-size copy of the submitted UFO image can be viewed below. And I've showed it to uh, Jess. To me, there's not a lot, lot to see in the picture. Um, no, it's definitely a brilliant, bright light. I'm, you yeah. know, pictures never do justice to things like that. But did he say it was like a week after it started and it, and it came out of the water and went into the sky? Yeah. So this was like a, a long-term, at least week, week-long yeah. Yeah. Event. Yeah. And, and it repeat, it must have repeatedly come back. That is wild. And didn't they report some UFOs going into the water not that long ago? Yeah, uh uh SROs or submersible uh objects are, are quite yeah. are quite common. So it's not it's not an unusual thing to see anymore at least. Yeah. Um, but Shag Harbor, interesting. I mean, at that time, 50 years ago, it was unusual. Yeah, they're definitely, I can't think of technology that would have been doing that 50 years ago. But. No, 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 especially at that time. Now, it's a little more common. And we, we have technology built to do that. Uh, at that time, no, not 1967, as far as I know. As, as, uh, just thinking back to that time. I could be wrong. If if you know of something out there and you're listening, uh, correct me. Tim at darknessradio.com. Not that that's a, a dare or anything, but <laughs> I'm not like, correct me. Prove me wrong. Um, but uh, by all means, uh, please uh, let me know. Let me know if there's uh, if there's something I'm not thinking of. So, all right, Jess, last story before we go to break here. Here's where I was ta- what I was talking about before that. NASA and, and the space different space agencies are looking into certain things as far as off-world activities. We'll put it that way, and okay, different different things we can do in space. One of those <laughs> things is reproduction. That's right. They call it the two hundred and forty-five mile high club. <laughs> <laughs> NASA calls it that, or you call it that? No, that's what they call it. I don't call really? it that. Yes, that's an actual thing. the The headline on this story is joining the two hundred and forty five mile high club would be quite a challenge, according to the scientist. Too funny. So they're saying that well, it could be difficult. So why would it be so difficult? Well, they're saying that. There's a few things that are difficult, from washing your hair to playing guitar. The spacefaring few have adapted to life while weightless. In, in other words, astronauts. Right. But there's one thing that happens every day here on Earth that hasn't yet been explored in space. And that is sex, let's face it. <laughs> one, because we've only had women in space since the 80s. Right. Yeah, and they're not usually come going up as couples. Right. And and you know, they're not like, okay, everybody get it on and they ring a bell and then they, <laughs> you know, they try it out. Um, you know, and and as you pointed out, they don't have couples going up there as well. It says in this article, if we're ever to venture into the stars, how people will have sex in space and even become pregnant will become a pressing issue. Now, they point out logistically having sex in space may be difficult due to microgravity, which makes it much harder for objects and even human bodies to stay in one place, which can make it fun, too. I mean, let's face it. I mean, you know, you're <laughs> just saying. 
As far as we are aware, nobody has yet tried, though we can't be 100% certain because I think you can shut off cameras on those on those uh, vehicles. I'm just saying. It says here that no one has had sex in space or at least admitted to having sex in space. This is according to Adam Watkins, who is an associate professor in reproductive and developmental uh, physiology at the University of Nottingham. He told that to Newsweek magazine. As such, it's hard to know exactly how easy it will be to have sex in space. Obviously, the International Space Station is quite a cramped space, and so it might not be that easy to find a quiet corner in which to have sex. Are there corners on the ISS? Trying kind of to, rounded, right? I think it is. Or, I don't know. Or at least the, the corners are rounded. I th- a a corner-esque. Yeah, corner-esque, Spot. right, yeah. Also, astronauts are very busy people when on the ISS, and so finding free time to have sex might also be quite a challenge. The ISS has orbited the Earth at a height of roughly 245 miles. That's where you get the 245-mile club there, Jess, since 1998, and is home to around seven astronauts at a time. With the rise of commercial space tourism and future long-term space missions, the assumed space celibacy may change, and therefore the complications it may lead to must be considered. With the establishment of orbital hotels and extended missions into the cosmos, national and private space entities must address the inevitable realities of human sexuality and intimacy in space. This topic can no longer be ignored if we hope to secure humanity's long-term survival and well-being beyond Earth. That's a quote from Maria Santagita, who is a research fellow at the Astrosexological Research Institute. I am putting in no. my application tomorrow. That's a thing? That's a thing, I guess. She's the, the best job ever. Is, she's only a research fellow. I want to know how you get into management over at the Astrosexological Research Institute. Like, what kind of a degree do you have to work there? Like, what's the requirements? I, I don't, a PhD in... Well, sexology? You, you got to have one in physics, I got to think. And then you got to have one probably in sex ed. And then you probably got to have, uh, I don't know, one in uh, uh, probably psychology. Right? Well, you know, I was a sex ed teacher. I have a minor in psychology. I'm like two thirds of the way there. You, you were a sex ed teacher? I was. Seriously? Yep. I taught high school sex ed, all the sophomores, required class. Seriously? I did. How did it was you- always my goal that first day to see how many times I could say penis in one <laughs> sentence. And just to see their little eyes going, oh my gosh. <laughs> did I ever tell you how, how bad of an, an aversion I had to that word? Penis? Yeah, just the way it sounds. <laughs> it, it was, it, it just, because it has such a sound to the word. I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's supposed to be this, you know, it's supposed to be this yeah. powerful thing that has a sound to it. The best word in sex education mm-hmm. is by far epididymis. Every time I'd get to that part of the class where mm-hmm. we'd be talking about the male reproductive system, yeah. I'd be like, epididymis, everyone say it. It rules off your tongue. It's the best word ever. Why didn't they name it that? They should have. It's fun. Yeah. The snuffle up. They could have named it a snuffle up against. A snuffle up against. Yeah. It's hard to say. Snuffleupagus. Snuffleupagus. Right. Because actually, I think I called it that until I was 10 years old. I probably <laughs> called it my snuffleupagus. Uh, but 
what'd you say it was? Epididymis? Epididymis. <laughs> That's a better name for it than anything else. It's just fun. Yeah. A <laughs> uh, little bit more to the story here. Although the Astrosexological Research Institute, I think, is probably the highlight of the story. I mean, it's pretty great. It is. I'm applying tomorrow. You should. I think you're probably going to get the job over me. I'm just a loudmouth. You've actually got some training in this deal. Uh, outside of the difficulty of maneuvering during the act itself, sex and space may come with another issue. Jess, being you're the teacher here, I'm going to refer right. to you. What do you think that issue is in space? An issue other than that you can't be still long enough to actually engage in sex? Well, might you've got microgravity and, and being able to get a footing, so to speak. Right. What's the other issue? Well, I was going to say getting it up. Wow! <laughs> That's not a scientific term. It wasn't very sex educational of me. Hey, no, but it was convenient. I would think that... There'd be something with the, you know, lack of gravity that might make that hard. I don't know. Well, no. Okay. But you're, you're onto it, so okay. to speak. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> okay. But you've got microgravity, which think, think of it this way. Okay. So up in space, eating and drinking is difficult because of. The fluids. There you go. So sex would be difficult because of. The fluids. There you go, Jess. That's right. Bodily fluids. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Those would just be floating around up there. Yeah. In, I don't really like this. In microgravity, if we can be adults for a moment, which I can never be, uh, liquids coalesce into spherical clumps. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's just say there's a something about Mary moment that would almost never happen unless. <laughs> just, I mean, it wouldn't just be in your hair, though. It'd be everywhere. <laughs> that's right. Well, think about it. You're just you're you're over in another section of the ISS. And let's say you're, you're putting something together. Right. And you're you're running an experiment and two people are going at it over in the corner. And Henry over there shoots a rope and gets it across the ISS. <laughs> And you get you get one in the eye, let's say from nine meters across, because you know <clears throat> he, oh, uh, so many things wrong with this conversation. <laughs> I know, right? Because <laughs> he decided to pull out. It's all science, though. I it's mean, all science. It's all science. There's nothing. There's nothing sexual about this. This is all science. I can just imagine, though, trying to dodge it. I mean, then someone has to catch it. <laughs> That's right. You've got to put it in one of those containers, sterile containers. Yeah. You probably have to shoot it into space and hit an alien with it. I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's space junk at that point. We've got issues here. Uh, in microgravity, liquids coalesce into spherical clumps. I just wanted to say that again. And are prone <laughs> to flying all over the place unless quickly sopped up. That's actually in the story. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> this may already be an issue with astronauts who, <clears throat> let's just say, spend some alone time with themselves in space. Yes. Yeah. I was thinking, I was wondering about that as you were reading, not that I wanted to think about that, but I thought, well, certainly like some of them are up there for like a year. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Th that's the term of somebody who's up on the ISS. Yeah. So, you have to, 
I mean, unless you're com- at some point, unless you're completely celibate for a year, somebody's got to kind of take care of it up there. Okay, these are things I've never thought about before. So, You've yeah. broadened my horizons tonight. I'm, I, I I apologize for that. Uh, though unsurprisingly, none have publicly admitted to doing so while on board a space station, so we don't know how the fluid issue can best be dealt with. I wonder how they do it. I feel like as scientists, they should be talking about this. <laughs> like They should be keeping a log. This is what happened. <laughs> I had to chase it around the station for like an hour. What what was that movie with Robin Williams? Flubber? Is that what it was? Yeah. Do you think it's like Flubber where they, you know, let one go and you got to chase it around the ISS for a bit? That's exactly what I'm envisioning. Yikes. Uh, Hmm. In closing. Oh, oh, wait. No, there's a whole nother thing to to deal with here. We'll get off. We'll get off the masturbation because obviously they did too. Um. Astronauts are not particularly forthcoming about their first-hand experiences of self-pleasure in space, according to Santa Gita. She said devices including masturbation aids equipped with fluid suction apparatuses could be used to manage the effect of weightlessness on ejaculate secretions and lubricant. We'll let you imagine that part, and we'll move past that. Here's the other thing that's interesting, Jess, about this whole thing, and that is getting pregnant in space. Oh, yeah. Because, let's face it, if you're going to go on a mission to Mars, that's a five-year mission. Right. Now, we aren't sure if becoming naturally pregnant in space is possible, but if sex in space were to lead to a pregnancy, there may be even further issues as the microgravity may lead to defects in the development of the fetus. Previous studies have found that microgravity did not affect the fertilization of an egg in mice, but did affect a fertilized egg in the ability to implant in the uterus. While other studies looking into pregnant rats in space found that fetal musculoskeletal and vestibular or inner ear development were impacted. I never thought about that, but if if things can't hold still, then the little egg after it's been fertilized can't attached to the uterus because it's just always moving yeah yeah that's wild uh according to one of our scientists from earlier in the article it said with regard to getting pregnant in space a simple answer is no one really knows female mice have been sent into space to see if they can become pregnant but the significant stress and turbulence of being blasted into space meant that none of them got pregnant. Mouse eggs, sperm, and embryos have also been sent into space to see how uh, they would develop. It does appear that microgravity interferes with the normal patterns of embryo development. So there's really not a hard scenario. Oh, God, that, no, I didn't mean to say it that way. There's, <laughs> there's really not a, uh, a solid scenario. Uh, where they could get a mouse pregnant, no scenario whatsoever where a human got pregnant in space. Interesting. Yeah. So interesting stuff altogether, folks. But that entire article is in Newsweek from last week, if you want to read up on it. That was in Newsweek? Yeah, it was in Newsweek. If you want to read up on it and see exactly how joining the 245-mile club would work. So there you go. We're going to take our break right here, Jess. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how 
AI potty trained somebody's son. That's coming up. What? <laughs> yes. There are some uses for AI. We'll talk about that when we come back. Not everything is doom and gloom with AI. We're going to do a little mini segment on predictions for 2024, both from dead psychics and psychics who are still alive. That's coming up. We'll also talk about why 2024 isn't starting so well (laughs) this year. Um, And we've got creepy, creepy stories towards the end of the show today. And we'll talk Ziggy's picks. I know Bruiser's not here, but we got to tell you about the psychic experiment going on this NFL season. This week was an incredible week, both for human and animals alike. We were all on fire, even though the NFL has been wacky this year. So that's all coming up. It is a Supernatural News and Parashare Wednesday right here on the best in paranormal programming. It's an anniversary week. By the way, happy anniversary darkness radio we're 18 years old this week so we're like adults now we are we can we can uh we can vote uh we can die for our country and in certain states we can smoke a cigar so there you go (laughs) (laughs) it's uh tim dennis jessica freeberg on a supernatural news wednesday we'll be back right after this on the best in paranormal programming darkness radio Welcome back to the best in paranormal programming. This is Darkness Radio. It's a supernatural news and Parashare Wednesday. Tim Dennison, Jessica Freeberg in for Beer City Bruiser. 18 years, Jess. Wild. Think about that for a second. 18 years. 2006, January 1st, 2006 is when the show kicked off. Um, Jess, do you remember what year you came aboard? I do. I Because... I remember coming up in the elevator to the studio mm-hmm. and um, this is hilarious and <laughs> terrible. Dave said, how long have you been a fan of the show? <laughs> and I said, oh, I've never listened. <laughs> I don't know what you guys do. I met you guys at a, a paranormal convention in Minneapolis mm-hmm. and I was chatting with you and you guys were so great and I was telling you what I did and, and Dave was like, oh, come into the show. So I did. But he had mentioned you guys had been um, going strong for 10 years. And so when he asked me in um, air, how long have you been a fan of the show? I said, oh, 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a very distinct memory of how long you guys were going on when I when I came in. So I've been hanging with you for eight years. Look at that. See how easy That's it used to wild. be. See how easy it used to be to get on the show, folks. <laughs> 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 but no, I, I kid, I kid. But uh, Jess, of course, is a prolific author and she runs her own trips. By the way, tell people, Jess, how they can uh, how they can check you out. Yeah, you can go to my website, just my name, jessicafreeberg.com. I have an event coming up at the Palmer House, actually starting on Thursday. So in just a couple of days, which I'm super stoked about. It's like a paranormal creative retreat, um, which is what I've been doing all these years that I've known you with the paranormal and writing and art and kind of marrying all of that together, getting creatively inspired by these awesome historic and haunted locations. There you go. There you go. So be sure to check out uh, Jessica's website, 
by all means, folks, even if you're only in the if you're if you're in the Midwest, if you're even outside the Midwest and you want to come to Minnesota, it's warm here right now. It is warm here for winter. Uh, you want to come to Minnesota right now and you want to check out the Haunted Palmer House Hotel. Boy, have they got spirits there. And and Jess's events are unlike any other paranormal event that you've ever been to. They're unique, they're special, and they're amazing. So they're super fun. I'm really excited about this one because we're doing like a sip and paint on Thursday night where you get to be led in creating a ghost picture. And then we have some mindfulness on Saturday. We have writing workshops on Saturday, art workshops. And then of course we have the big ghost hunt at the end of Saturday night. So they're super fun. They're different, but they're super cool. And I really want to do an event with you sometime, Tim. Absolutely. I think we need to get one on the calendar together. Absolutely. We'll definitely do that. Definitely. I'd like to be part of one of the ones you do. I love the idea of your events. They sound so incredibly original and inspiring and, and creative i absolutely absolutely right. you heard it here folks so we agreed we're doing it absolutely we're definitely going to get that done we'll <laughs> get it done right here in 2024 as well jess i uh it's time to bring the spooky and we're going to start today <laughs> today's spookiness with ai got to ask you you know you've you've got a couple of uh, more than a couple of uh, potty trained kids at home I, at least i hope they're potty trained with the ages they're at um because <laughs> if they're not by god you've got some issues you know my son's 21 so i'm sure there's moments where there's <laughs> he may not like getting not... to the bathroom who knows yeah i was teasing him he lives with the boy that we grew up with and they i'm always like you guys potty train together you get you guys used to pee out on the trees in the backyard he's like we still do that mom but for different reasons now <laughs> <laughs> you just gotta keep an eye out for the cops they still they still bust you for that stuff i don't know why they like public urination is a thing you'll get a ticket just ask your dad which is just ask your dad <laughs> which is crazy because you're in a sterile totally i don't get it i don't get it maybe yes it's... my children are all potty trained <laughs> well would you ever have your <clears throat> amazon alexa i have one next to me train your kid to be potty trained no, I can't even fathom what that would look like. I'm about to tell you what it looks like and maybe even sounds like. It's bizarre. To me, this is like the the edge of laziness. <laughs> I mean, where in what world are you too busy to get your kid to the pot to, you know, to, to learn how to go? That's a new level of lazy parenting for sure. Yeah, it says here that potty training can be a real bear, but especially for parents who feel as though they're just that, that they've just about cracked it and then go back to square one. Well, I realize that can be frustrating, but thankfully, one mom has found an aid in an Amazon A L E X A. I can't say because there's one right there, and she'll answer me. <laughs> she'll probably try to potty train me i was gonna say she's gonna start talking about going potty in the toilet <laughs> that's right she'll start singing elmo songs to me or something uh she found an aid in one to help her son and it might just work for your kids too it says here 
I don't know about that. Let me tell you about how she did it. A lot of parents dread having to potty train their children as it's a necessary step in a child's development, but it's also a big hassle. Going from a nap to potty can see a hike in your cleaning supplies costs be taking on your sanity and can also be an incredibly stressful and time-consuming chore. So, one mom thinks she cracked the code and found the trick to helping her son potty train, and her trick could work for other parents, too. The mom explained that she had been finding potty training a nightmare, but the small trick made it much easier. I know you're saying, Tim, get to it. What's the trick? Well, here's the trick. She said that both she and her child are amazed by the trick and that it's worked for them. Um, She said she's been using her Amazon Alexa start, smart device to help her son remember how to use her potty. I'm looking at it to see if it's listening to me. Um, she said that she posted to a group. I don't know if everyone has already thought of this, and I'm a bit behind, but I thought I'd share. I have an Echo Dot in my kitchen. I ask her to set a reminder every 40 minutes for my son to sit on the potty. Every 40 minutes, Alexa addresses her son and asks him to go to the bathroom. Oh, my. Isn't that lazy? It's definitely lazy. (laughs) I mean, it's smart. This direct ask has been invaluable in getting her child to go to the potty, says the mom. (laughs) Come on. He thinks it's brilliant. The son does. It's been so successful and really helped his potty training. Every time her son goes to the potty, he earns a sticker as a reward. Well, he probably just wants a sticker. Probably. But it's probably kind of cool to have Alexa call you out and say, Hey, Tim, time to go to the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) I I would probably set it to remind me to take my meds. I mean, you know... (laughs) Leanne's post was popular with over 300 people liking the post and with many fellow parents commenting to say that they'd be trying the trick for themselves. One person wrote, that's genius. Our little boy would love that and much more likely to be doing it uh, if Alexa told him than us for sure. Wow. Our kids listen to Alexa more than they listen to us now. Yeah. These are scary times. That is that is scary. Another replied, oh my God, worth having one of those just for that. <laughs> You're going to buy one just for that? What happened to the days of putting like Cheerios or Fruit Loops in the toilet and mm-hmm. having them aim at it? Right. That would be more fun than anything else. That's super fun. I still do that. I, I th- I'm thinking about going back to it, to be honest with you. Uh, a third added, love this idea. I've been trying to encourage my son to use the potty, so I'm going to enlist Alexa's help. Oh, my. Oh, my God. Potty training guru Amanda Jenner also previously shared some other top tips No two children are the same, according to the expert, when it comes to potty training. She said two and a half to three and a half years is the average age. This is in the UK to start potty training. Uh, Brushing their teeth is about 32 years old. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) Just kidding on that one. Uh, Some children are ready at two, but it depends on the child and whether they're showing signs of readiness. 
uh, as there's no point in trying to teach them something if they're not ready. I think most parents are aware of that. So, uh, yeah, using AI to <clears throat> get your kid to go to the bathroom. Do you know what I used, Tim, back in the day? What did you use? My daughter did not want to poop in the toilet because she thought it was scary. Yeah. And do you remember the South Park Hanky the Christmas Poo? Yeah, Mr. Hanky the Christmas Poo. Yeah. Yeah. I would be Hanky and I would be her poop and I would talk to her. <laughs> like, put me in the toilet. I want to go see my friends. Oh, my God. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have one of those. I have the, the stuffed Mr. Hanky with the, with the voice button. You do. I wonder if she would remember it. I somewhere around here. I still have to buy yeah. one of those and put it in her. She's in college now. So, <laughs> so you're going to you send them along. <laughs> do you remember Hanky, the Christmas poo, Mr. Hanky, the Christmas poo. <laughs> he was a lifesaver. Wow. Hanky, Alexa, and we all have to use what we got. That's hard to believe that Mr. Hanky's that old. I know. We are old, Tim. We are old, crusty. Wow. <laughs> We're old and crusty. <laughs> so is Mr. Hanky if he's been, uh, if he's, you know, been uh, hanging out in your toilet for that long. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, our next story, Jess, uh, scientists... Actually, AI is kind of good this uh, this uh, this podcast, I guess. I like AI, so I'm I'm interested in all of this. Normally, AI is destructive, but it's it's being used for good things. This this uh, this podcast. Uh, scientists discover the first new antibiotics in over sixty years by using AI. Really? Yeah. Uh, in this story. A new class of antibiotics for drug-resistant MRSA bacteria was discovered using more transparent deep learning models. So they actually found new new antibiotics. And MRSA, that's the bad one. Like, eat your skin off. Yeah, yeah. I uh, Well, no, the, not, not MRSA. MRSA isn't the skin-eating antibiotic. Oh. But, but MRSA, I, I've actually had MRSA a couple of times. It's really, it doesn't take to antibiotics, right? Yes, yes. And it just keeps. There are, now with MRSA, you're not, you're in deep water, but you're not in, in drownable water, so to speak, when you get MRSA. When you get MRSA, there are still three or four antibiotics that will work, but there okay. aren't much. And, and you're getting to the point now that we use antibiotics so much that even those antibiotics that they use for MRSA are getting to the point where they don't work anymore. Okay. So thank you. I was confused. I was a sex ed teacher, not a doctor. <laughs> well, <laughs> your boy here has had a lot of a uh, lot of experience in the hospital. Put it that way. But yeah, that's a thing with the antibiotics. With when I mean, we take them for ear infections with the kids and mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff, and then your body doesn't really respond to them anymore. It's kind of a problem. Yeah, and 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 we've we've literally used so many of these antibiotics that the bugs have have mutated and yeah. they, they mutate out of the effectiveness of these antibiotics so new ones have to be created which is impossible because as far as humans go and i know this sounds weird but as far as humanity goes we don't have the capability of finding antibiotics or creating antibiotics fast enough 
But what they're mm-hmm. doing is these advanced AI models are outthinking us and outthinking some of these formulas and coming up with antibiotics, such as the one that the, this uh, AI model has found. Uh, the use of AI is proving to be a game changer when it comes to medicine with the technology now helping scientists to unlock the first new antibiotics in 60 years, which is huge. The discovery of a new compound that can kill a drug-resistant bacterium that kills thousands worldwide every year can prove to be a turning point in the fight against antibiotic resistance. Uh, the quote here from one of the study's authors in a statement says, the insight here was that we could see what was being learned by the models to make their predictions that certain molecules would make for good antibiotics. James Collins, professor of medicine, engineering, and science at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, or MIT, and one of the study's authors said in a statement, he also went on to say, our work provides a framework that is time-efficient, resource-efficient, and mechanistically insightful, that's a a mouthful, Uh, from a chemical structure standpoint in ways that we haven't had to date. The results were published in Nature and co-authored by a team of 21 researchers. That just means that we can continue going forward and hopefully find... now, And we shouldn't rely on AI specifically to keep trying to find more antibiotics. That's not the answer here. The answer really is we shouldn't we shouldn't be relying on antibiotics alone to fight these infections because the infections are only going right. to get worse the more we become dependent on antibiotics. The the idea is we should be figuring out how to stay away from these infections so that we, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I know with my kids I used a lot of like essential oils for ear infections and like the little things. Mm -hmm. So they didn't really take antibiotics except if they had strep throat. That was like almost the only time they ever took any Right. like ear infections. I just put like a little basil in their ear and then they'd cry because it burned, but cleaned it right up. Right. I think you can stick garlic in there. I heard. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you can at all use, use something else or get over something naturally. And a lot of times it's over prescription of, of antibiotics. People are using antibiotics for bacterial colds or or things like that or you know simple bacterial things that they can shrug off if they let their body's natural defenses heal it you know and and they're instead they're like no just give me antibiotics just let me you know i I just need to heal quickly i i need to get over this and they have a perfectly good immune system that will take care of it um they just need to do that. They just need to let their body take over and, and heal what should be healed naturally. And they just don't do that. We're always in a hurry, though, Tim. That's what it is. That's true. That's true. We don't have time. We don't have time to be sick. We don't have time to potty train our kids. That's true. And and you can't leave it up to AI because you know what happens then? Robots take over the world. See, thank you. Yeah, it's my greatest fear. <laughs> That, that, that is the greatest fear. Um, speaking of uh, robots taking over the world, let's transition now into a little bit of a mini prophecy segment, if you will, uh, as that's one of the things that was, was actually uh, prophesized by one of our so-called psychics. Um, no. They're <laughs> predicting it? Well, maybe one of them was. If not, if not robots, aliens. 
we have some psychics that are dead, some that are alive that have made some predictions for 2024. Let's go over them quickly, shall we? Uh, yeah. One of the things that I, I love, Jess, about uh, the end of one year, the beginning of another, is that you have all these psychics that come out of the woodwork and they have these prophecies for the new year. A lot of them are kind of BS, but some of them sometimes ring true and you go, oh, wow, well, that was something, right? One of the ones who keeps popping up year after year, who's been dead for 500 years is Nostradamus, right? Oh, yeah. But somehow mm -hmm. he keeps coming up with new predictions, or at least <laughs> we think he does. New to us. New to us. Well, it turns out Nostradamus has his 2024 predictions from the grave. Um, how they keep getting uh, predictions from Nostradamus is, is beyond me. Uh, it turns out that when Nostradamus was making predictions, uh, he, was, he made certain quatrains that people are reading into now, even in 2024. So these are the quatrains that people are, at least fans of, of Nostradamus, are reading into for 2024 that they think are referring to modern day. As you know, Jess, there was a, there was a tsunami in uh, Japan uh, on New Year's Day. And, yeah. and people who are fans of, of Nostradamus think that a quatrain of, of Nostradamus has already predicted that. Really? Yeah. It says fans of the psychic reckon that this, uh, this uh, quatrain, which, uh, let me see here, the writing about 2024, he said the dry earth will become more parched and there will be great floods was part of the quatrain that he wrote. So they point to that particular quatrain and they say that that tsunami was part of that quatrain. Uh, that 7.4 magnitude earthquake over in Japan that released that tsunami, of course, they say is part of that quatrain. Residents in several areas were told to evacuate immediately in Japan after the quake triggered a major tsunami warning with experts initially predicting waves that could reach as high as 16 and a half feet. And that was in Japan on, on January 1st. So Nostradamus also warned of a very great famine through pestiferous wave, meaning more bad news could be on its way if the prediction turns out to be true. But it's not just natural disasters the fortune teller has foreseen. Um, here are some of the other predictions, uh, according to Star Online. Nostradamus also supposedly predicted a royal ruckus having to do with King Charles. This is, again, 500 years ago. Take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> uh, one of Nostradamus's predictions claims that King Charles could be in for a bumpy ride this year. Les Prophetes reads, King of the Isle, driven out by force, replaced by one who will have no mark of a king. While the writings make no reference to a particular king, some have inferred that the monarch in question could be the current head of the British monarchy. Mario Reading, analyst and author of the book, The Nostradamus Prophecy, said the king could step down thanks to persistent attacks on both himself and his second wife, Queen Camilla. Nostradamus has proven a track record of making accurate predictions about the royals. He foresaw the death of Queen Elizabeth in 2022, this according to this source, and reports suggest he even guessed her age correctly. Wow. Okay. 
Uh, naval war supposedly was predicted by Nostradamus, upcoming. The French philosophers also predicted an escalation in international conflict in 2024. He wrote, Red adversary will become pale with fear, putting the great ocean in dread. Now, Nostradamus fans reckon the red adversary could be communist China. The great ocean suggests fighting could take place at sea, possibly in the Indian Ocean. Security experts have been keeping a close eye on China for some time. The East Asian country is even said to be gearing up for a space war against the U.S. That's rumor, of course. Nostradamus also predicted the death of Pope Francis in 2024. According to this article, the leader of the Catholic Church will turn 88 this December, and the mystics reckon uh, next year could be tragically his last, or rather this year, 2024. He wrote, through the death of the very old pontiff, a Roman of good age will be elected. Now, see, that 500 years ago this was written. Keep that in mind. Uh, there are several candidates who could vie for the top spot when the time comes. Anyone hoping to become the pope must be male and baptized. The pope is then chosen from a group of cardinals. And those under the age of 80 then vote for their new leader. So they're spry, Jess. <laughs> so you're saying I can't be the Pope. Uh, well, kind of disappointed. You're not a cardinal. I mean, if you're a cardinal, whole, whole new ball game there. I'm not a male. Well, there's that. <laughs> you know, um, so the, that's that as far as Nostradamus goes. I don't know. I, I, I did watch Midnight Mass on Christmas Eve. The Pope isn't looking good. No. He did stand for, for some of the Mass, but then after, they, after the Mass was over, they brought him out in a wheelchair. They have, oh. a, they have a, a segment after Mass where he greets the children. They have a, some children come from around the world, and he greets the children after Mass. Um, I know there's a bunch of people now making uh, Pope Catholic kid jokes, I'm sure. Um, but <laughs> but he, he greets these children from around the world, and then they have this little procession through, um, through the cathedral. And one of the cardinals was pushing him in a wheelchair, and I just thought to myself, you know, if, if the pontiff can't walk this processional, something's really, really wrong. So Yeah, yeah. that's not a good sign. No. So the other psychic, or one of the psychics we're going to talk about is also deceased, Baba Vanga, who uh, we talked about last week, Bruiser and I did, who supposedly foretold COVID-9-11, which are both horrifying predictions, also has horrifying predictions for 2024. Oh, come on. Can't they ever say something nice? I know. If they can't say something nice, then keep your prediction to yourself, right? Right. Um. So Baba Vanga was a clairvoyant from Bulgaria who started making eerily accurate predictions at an early age. So there's that. Uh, she attributes her incredible powers to a tornado which blinded her. We told you that, that last week. And world leaders such as Bulgarians Tsar Boris III and Soviet leader Leonid Brezhnev reportedly consulted her in person. Now, after her death in 1996, believers continued to read into pred future predictions of her work. They claimed she was able to predict the death of Princess Diana, the sinking of the Russian submarine Kursk, and the 9-11 terror attacks, as well as a coronavirus pandemic. She did a lot of work after 96. Or, uh, I almost said bruiser. <laughs> Jess, I know who I'm talking to. Um, 
in 2024, Baba Vanga uh, has predicted the assassination of Vladimir Putin by a fellow countryman. Ooh. How did they get this from a dead woman? This just got interesting. I know, didn't it? <laughs> While the war in Ukraine rages on, the death of the Russian leader is said to plunge the world into greater uncertainty. She also warned of terror attacks across Europe while an unnamed big country will carry out biological weapon attacks in 2024. No. Yeah, according to some interpretations of her predictions. I want to know who's interpreting these predictions. Uh, economic experts should be warned that the or should be warned the mystic also foretold of a huge economic crisis in 2024. She said that rising debt levels and escalating geopolitical tensions risk plunging the global economy into chaos. Baba Vanga also forecast a worsening climate with several terrifying weather events wreaking havoc throughout the year. Cyber attacks, she said, would also throw the world into peril and a rise in attacks on crucial infrastructure like power grids and water treatment plants were also predicted. So it seems like whoever is like interpreting their predictions is kind of molding them into our current society because there's no way that she even knew that any of this stuff would exist. You got it. I don't think she even knew that this, this stuff was around it in 1996. Um, her predict. Okay. So on a more positive note, the Bulgarian also reportedly predicted new treatments for devastating diseases like Alzheimer's and cancer next year in 2024. Well, that's good. Finally, silver lining. Right. Yeah, we're, we're going to get shredded. <laughs> but hey, you'll have new treatments for cancer and Alzheimer's, uh, as well as major technological breakthroughs in quantum computing. Now, how would she know about quantum computers? There's no way. There's no way. Uh, beyond next year, Baba Vanga said world hunger would end by 2028, ahead of communism's return in 2076. Wait, what? I don't know. Well, humans would crack time travel in 2304. I don't think I'll still be alive then. Gosh darn it. That sounds exciting. Yeah. Maybe somebody from 2304 could come back and help us out a little bit. Yeah. Her predictions, however, should often be taken with a pinch of salt. In 2023, the mystic is said to have predicted a devastating solar storm striking the planet as well as a nuclear bioweapon attack. Now, we did talk about the solar storm last week and that the solar storm did happen at the end of 2023. So okay. that technically wasn't wrong. But was it devastating? It wasn't devastating, no. Just happened. It just happened. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. Now, so maybe all this stuff will happen and just won't be as catastrophic as right, they're saying. Right, right. Now, there's a third psychic out there who's known as the living Nostradamus, who predicted COVID issues in a terrifying 2024 warning. This guy's name is Athos Salome. And next year would be a new chapter in human history. He says aliens, a robot rebellion, global catastrophe, and even World War III. Oh, my gosh. It sounds like a book I want to read, but I don't actually want to live it. But is it easier coming from this guy? Wow. He's really pretty. See? Yeah, so <laughs> it makes it easier, doesn't it, Jess? 
So th- anything he says, I believe. So this guy says the world's going to shit, but if he tells you, hey, if this guy, if, if it's coming from this guy, it's okay, right? And I assume he has an accent too, right? Because he's, what was his name? He's not from around here. So he obviously no. <laughs> has a beautiful accent to go with that chiseled his, jawline. Yes, his name is Athos. It's either Salome or Salome. So he's like, just let me tell you something. The world oh, is yes. uh, going to, how do you say, he's going to shit. It sounds terrible and great all at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it does. Jess, <laughs> yes, I don't know how to tell you this, but uh, we need to run away together. Uh, the world is uh, <laughs> the world is going to shit. Uh, a man who claims to be a psychic calls himself the Living Nostradamus has made a prediction for 2024. He's made more than one. He's made a few, and it looks to be an eventful year. Jess, Athos is saying we all need to kiss our Athos goodbye. <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, he's hailing from Brazil. Ooh, Brazilian. Oh, Brazilian. Ooh, la, la. My, oh, my. Atho Salome has warned that next year would be a new chapter in human history with aliens, a robot rebellion, global catastrophe, but also there's some hope there. Okay. There's some hope. I need the hope. Yes. Previously, he claims to have predicted the coronavirus pandemic, the World Cup final, Putin's invasion of Ukraine, and even the death of the Queen. Uh, with regards to 2024, Salome says it'll be an utterly transformative year with humans finally making contact with aliens. Well, that's good. Uh, rather than it being a terrifying invasion, he forecasts that humans and aliens will communicate through encrypted signals intercepted by a network of telescopes. Uh, Wait, that doesn't sound like clear-cut communication no no it sounds very they're not gonna like call me or text me or shoot me a dm (laughs) no i don't think aliens would do that no (laughs) no uh the 37 year old also claims an asteroid abundant with rich materials is hurling for earth and will land safely next year well that's good maybe it'll land in a cloud of Charmin. i don't know (laughs) how does it how does an asteroid just Hurl and land safely. Yeah, those those don't go together. <laughs> no, that's an oxymoron. Sorry, Athos. That that doesn't ring true with me. I believe everything he says. Do you? Is it because he's so yeah. pretty? Yes. Yeah, that, that's that's what it's it strictly is. because he's pretty. Yeah. Also, he's saying things aren't aren't horrible, so I like that. You like that? And he's and he's pretty. Okay. Uh, <laughs> So uh, this this asteroid abundant with rich material is hurdling for Earth and will land safely next year, sparking the new space race as countries fight to get their hands on it. Apart from that, Salome claims that AI will awaken and become self-aware, leading the way for a machine-led rebellion. Oh, good. No, I hate that. They're taking <laughs> over the Earth, Jess. But you'll be safe, safe in Athos's arms. <laughs> So there's that. Uh, When it comes to global conflict, Salome uh, claims it's a urgent reality with World War III being suddenly triggered by either an event in the South China Sea or a major cyber attack with a fight between China and Russia descending into an all-out war. But again, Jess, you'll be safe in Athos's arms. As long as everything ends with safe in Athos's arms. Okay, okay. 
Uh, the Sun reports that if 2024 didn't already look bleak, Salome has warned of impending global catastrophe as natural disasters sweep the globe and claims he knows where the tragedies will take place. The psychic predicts that three major flashpoints of pain in the Middle East and Africa, South Sudan, Somalia, and Yemen will all be those flashpoints. But again, you'll be safe in this man's arms. So just uh, stare deeply into his eyes one more time, Jess, before we go to the next story. <laughs> and then think about all, all that sweet, sweet sex on the ISS you two will have. Yes, we're all burning down here on Earth. Just <laughs> and chasing ma- after the, the lobs that are floating. Yeah, through. just uh, oh, my my husband's gonna love this episode. By the way, yeah, he really is. Uh, just make sure you <laughs> dodge the crusty globs that are floating up there on the ISS. Um. Okay, I think that <laughs> I think that's the, we're, we're we're done with the uh, psychic prediction uh, segments. I think. Um, although I, I will make honorable mention of the Old Moore's Almanac, which gets published over in uh, in England. Yeah. They made one prediction that's interesting when it comes to aliens. Now, the, the Old Moore's um, Almanac is known for making extremely accurate prediction. It's kind of like the uh, far, Farmer's Almanac over here. Yeah. Okay. So to give you an idea of how accurate they are. All right. They were the ones who, in previous years, predicted that Kanye West would have mental health problems and that President Trump would run for president again. Really? Yeah, they're that accurate. They also predicted the rise of Bitcoin over 10 years ago. Huh. Interesting, huh? Okay. Now, Old Moore's Almanac has predicted that there would be aliens for real in 2023, when they predicted that, they didn't see that the American government would open up the, these hearings. So that's, yeah. that kind of qualifies as aliens for real, right? I think so, yeah. Okay. So what are we looking forward to uh, in 2024 when it comes to Old Moore's Almanac? Well, here's what they say. They say there's an assassination warning for Trump, the end of cash, the end of roads, as in what we're driving on. What? Yeah. And a massive earthquake that extends across multiple borders. Okay, so an assassination attempt? Yeah. Okay. I'm processing. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> I, I mean, it all sounds so bizarre. But end of roads, how are we going to get around? Maybe they start making space cars. I don't know. You remember those floating cars we always wished for, those Jetsons cars when we were kids? I really thought that was going to be a thing. I remember writing about that in middle school when it was like 2000. Yeah. What was it going to be like? And like, we're totally going to be flying around in cars. Right. We're not. So, I, but th- that was the thing that got me about this prediction is the end of roads. That was the That's thing that crazy. Yeah. So we're getting flying cars, Jess. That's that's that, that that's what I was getting at. That's my takeaway, and I like that part. Yeah. The rest of it I could do without. Yeah, well, we're getting we're getting floating cars. Just saying. Not saying, just saying, Jess. We're getting floating cars. So you and Athos uh, can do it in a floating car. <laughs> in the back seat. Just saying. 
uh, let's move on, shall we? We shall. We shall. Uh, let's talk spooky stuff. You ready for this? It's my favorite. Yes. Your favorite. All right. We talked a while back about a cursed painting. Uh, and it was uh, it was back in 2023. I think it was back in the summertime. It strikes again after a spate of mishaps happened to its new owner. An alleged cursed painting that was sold at a charity shop back in August of 2023 has now changed hands several times. Evidently, it's that cursed. That bad. Yeah. When the seemingly innocuous portrait of a young girl was purchased from a charity shop in Hastings, East Sussex last summer, the seller assumed that it would be the last that they ever saw of it. To their surprise, however, the painting has returned to the shop the very next day. That's right, the very next day. Before too long, it was sold again, only to be returned a second time a short time later, with the new owner complaining that she had witnessed shadow figures in her new house after bringing it home. Keen to take advantage of the painting's seemingly cursed status, the charity shop owner placed it back in the front window with a haunting message. She's back, sold twice and returned twice. Are you brave enough? I don't think I need it, but I could buy it for a friend. <laughs> well, let me tell you what the price is first, Jess. All right. The cursed painting soon went viral online, prompting the most recent buyer, James Kisslingberry, managing director of the London Bridge Experience, to buy it for $2,000. What? Yeah. For him, the curse began to take effect even before he'd picked the painting up, Jess, with his car breaking down on the way to the shop. No. Yep. After putting the portrait on display, his exhibition began to suffer all manner of problems, ranging from cameras breaking down to flickering lights and TVs randomly shutting off. In one instance, his father-in-law fell ill and his toaster exploded. What? Clearly paranormal. While in another, workers claim to have witnessed a mysterious entity in a black skirt within the vicinity of the painting. We've had a couple of floods on the site between November and December, said Kisslingberry. Uh, well, we came in one morning and the basement was flooded. We had small leaks in the past, but nothing on the scale, he went on to say. I know a cynic would say it's just a coincidence, but given the volume of things which keep happening, I do find myself questioning whether there's more to the painting that meets the eye. So... I read this and tell you about predictions for 2024 and then tell you that my 2024 has been absolutely horrible. It's one thing after another and it's only two I days know. old. I, I don't Do you, know. What, did you buy a cursed painting? I don't know. I must have something here in the house that's cursed or just bad energy for 2024. How's your 2024 been so far? Mine's been good and I feel bad saying that. I mean, we're only two days in. It could go downhill, but so far so good. So what's I, going on? So I told you uh, off air, I start off New Year's Day, it, the morning of New Year's Day. My mom calls me and she tells me I'm kneeling on one leg on the, well, with one leg down on the floor and I can't get off the floor and I've got extremely bad pain in my hip and my knee. Oh my gosh. And I go, do you need me to come down there? Do you need me to call an ambulance? What, you, what do you want me to do? She said, no, 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 no. My friend Joanne's coming down here. She lives in a senior apartment. 
Uh, my friend Joanne's coming down here. She's going to get me to the hospital. We're going to go over there and, and figure out what's wrong. Now, she's got, she just had that gel that they're, they're injecting into people's knees now instead of knee replacements. So she's okay. had that put in her knees. So I'm, I'm assuming something's wrong with the gel, right? Yeah. So she goes through a battery of tests on New Year's Day. Uh, they look at the hip. They look at the knee. She's got arthritis in both, real bad arthritis in both. They find some plaque buildup and some calcification in the main artery in the hip. Okay. But nothing, and, and she's assuming there's a blood clot. So they do, you know, they do the ultrasound on, on her leg. No blood clots, no nothing. Oh, thank goodness. But they do find diverticulitis. Right. Yeah. So, but, but she, that's not what she went in for. Yeah. So they give her some antibiotics, tell her she'll be fine, and they send her home. And I'm like, okay. So, so... Major crisis number one on New Year's Day, right? Glad she's okay, though. I love your mom. She's so sweet. Thank you. I appreciate that. She loves you, too. Appreciate that. Um, So, today was a weird scenario. I'm surprised you're here. (laughs) Everybody in the world, it seems like, is sick today. Sick or had some sort of weird thing happen. Today, Bruiser, uh, Bruiser's entire town lost power. Oh, my goodness. They're, That's they're, crazy. They're, they had a little bit of, I, the way he described it was frost. Now, I've never known anybody to lose power because of frost. Where is he at again? He's, uh, he's in North Carolina. Okay. But, yeah. you know, if you, if you have ice, I, I know down south if you have ice storms, that will that will short out, you know, electrical systems and things like that. But they had frost. Yeah, frost. That's not catastrophe. No, but they they weren't going to have power until late 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 at night, which is wow. just weird, right? I don't know. It's just it's just weird, Jess. It's just that is weird. Weird. So I don't know. Two days in, two weird things. Yeah. Just What's going to gonna happen tomorrow? I don't know. That's that's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. I, I need to change the juju somehow here. I, I need to, I don't know, maybe I should have, maybe I should have done that New Year's Eve cleansing thing with the candle and all that other stuff and the salt water and. Maybe. It's not too late. No. You just got to run around your house three times in your underpants. Chant. <laughs> boogity boogity. I need to find Athos and. Look you have deep to into film his it eyes and, and put it on social media. That's what I have to do. I have to film it. And yeah. everything will be fine. Okay. Yep. I have to film it? Yeah, you have to film yourself running around in your underpants. I do. And yeah. I have mm-hmm. to put it on. And put it on Facebook. Okay. Instagram, all of it. It doesn't sound right, but okay. This thought. is secure. This is this will protect you forever. Okay. All right. Well, Athos it's, told me. Oh, oh, Athos told. Well, if Athos told you, then yeah, yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll do that right away. No, no problem. No, today is gonna. Tomorrow is gonna be a better day. I can feel it. Oh, good, good, good. Because I was feeling kind of weird about that filming myself and putting it on social media. <laughs> um. Well, with that, uh, I don't know. I think maybe I should save this parish here for when. Bruiser comes back. It has to do with the pups and whether they're psychic or not. Your call. Do you want to save it for him? You Hmm. can. 
think he'll be sad if you do it without him. I think he might. Yeah, we'll save the the parisher from Eric for next week because he he he's commenting on on Ziggy and Talia's picks and and whether they're psychic or not. I tell you what, I will uh, I'll save it for Bruiser for next week because uh, he has some interesting interesting. Uh, points of view there that we'll discuss. We're coming down to the end of the uh, NFL season, Jess, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about Ziggy's picks. And uh, Ziggy and Talia did really good this week. Let's talk about other animals here in a moment. Um, I do have a story here about a mom that's terrified as a haunted frozen doll returns to the house after she put it in the garbage twice. Oh, no. Have you ever had a haunted doll there at the house? We've not. My kids have been afraid of dolls, though, forever. Like, we used to have to keep all of the dolls locked up in a box and in the basement, and they and the door had to be shut. Like, they could never be, you know, left out in a living room. It's like the only toy that I knew was going to get cleaned up when they were done playing with it because they were so scared of them. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, I think this one's probably not coming home to your house, that's for sure. A worried mom has shared her horror after a creepy frozen doll somehow returned to her home after she binned it, that's British for throwing it in the trash, on multiple occasions, it even started singing and spooked the family out. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Dolls get a bad rap in horror films, This uh, and they're often pretty creepy, uh, but you may never look at your childhood toys the same after watching a chilling thriller or two. But one thing we didn't think would prove quite so scary is a Disney toy. But one woman has been left terrified of a piece of frozen merchandise that her young child was given for Christmas. Oh, that's the worst. You get something for Christmas and then it turns out to be haunted. Uh, a mom from Houston has taken to social media in 2020 uh, to reveal why she believes her daughter, Aurelia, had a haunted Elsa doll. Well, that's the worst, too, that Elsa would be, uh, you know, a tool of the devil. <laughs> you know. Uh, in a viral post on Facebook, which has now been deleted, Emily Madania explained that Aurelia's toy has or had first started to freak them out when it began singing and, oh, God, <laughs> had began singing and talking in Spanish while switched off. Why does what? that? Why does that make it evil? That just makes it bilingual. <laughs> I'm impressed. Yeah, Elsa's uh, been doing some Duolingo. It's been it's been watching. What's that movie that uh, that came out from Disney that was popular? That, Encanto. Yeah, Encanto. It yeah. just watches Encanto when you're on Disney Plus when you're not watching. That's all. I think that's a that's a smart haunted doll. Yeah, that's exactly. Uh, she and her husband Matt decided to throw the doll out with their daughter's blessing. Why? Because you're all racist. Uh, but since then, it has found its <laughs> way back into their home not once but twice. Emily wrote, "Matt threw it away weeks ago, but then we found it inside on a wooden bench." No, that is really creepy. <laughs> The quote here is, okay, so we were weirded out and tightly wrapped it in its own garbage bag and put that garbage bag inside another garbage bag filled with other garbage. Oh, that is so mean. And then put it in the bottom of our garbage can underneath a bunch of other garbage bags full of garbage and wheeled it to the curb and it was collected on garbage day. And it came back. 
again. The family then went on vacation, okay? <laughs> Thinking the whole thing was behind them, Jess. But when they returned home, the doll was back. No. Yeah. The quote here, we were out of town, forgot about it. Today, Aurelia says, Mom, I saw the Elsa doll again in the backyard. In the backyard? Yep. Here's, a, here's an artist's sketch of the cute little Elsa doll that speaks Spanish. Oh, it is cute, but is. at this point it has to be covered in garbage. And <laughs> I know. It smells like rotted vegetables. It's got uh, a little grease on it. And... Hola, como esta? Uh, <laughs> after throwing it out didn't work, Emily decided the only way to be rid of the thing for good was to send it far, far away. So she posted it to her friend Chris, who lives over 1,500 miles away and has been entertained by the tale of the haunted doll. Right? Oh, no, that's not good friendship. <laughs> <laughs> no. But evidently, he thought it was entertaining. So right. she confirmed that Chris had since received Elsa and has taped the creepy toy to the hood of his car to stop what? it from going anywhere else. So fingers crossed it stays there. Uh, unsurprisingly, people on Facebook were shocked by the post. One person commented, you should have burned it. It doesn't burn. If it doesn't burn, then it's possessed. Another said, I've thoroughly enjoyed following this saga. Be sure to post if the doll does return. What a crazy situation. I, I honestly think they should just... I, honestly, a doll that just speaks Spanish is not that creepy to me. No. No, no it gets creepy, though, when it keeps coming back. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's a little weird that it's now taped on the hood of a guy's car. So he's just driving around with a freaking doll. <laughs> Elsa's a hood ornament is, is hysterical. <laughs> Walking around going, you quiero taco bear. Um, yeah, I think that's uh, kind of cool. Yeah. I'd take it. Yeah, I'd, I'd take it. Sure. Why not? Let's talk Bigfoot for a moment here, Jess. Wintergreen police are weighing in on Bigfoot sightings. Some of them say they don't think it is up to snuff. We go to Virginia, where police are debunking recent reports of a cryptid roaming Virginia mountains. The Wintergreen Police Department posted on Tuesday, December 26th, is Bigfoot real or not? We may never know. We do know that the Bigfoot sightings on the mountain were staged. Ooh. Although they didn't put a D in there. They put we're staged. <laughs> because they aren't English majors over there at the police department. The individual behind it was just trying to have a little fun and create a little lighthearted conversation. Interesting. Let me, uh, let me show you what they have for the Wintergreen Police for a picture for this. Does that look real to you? No, oh, 100%. <laughs> no <laughs> no no it, <laughs> not at all no. so there you go oh they go and ruin it for all of us when they do these staged or stage or stage as the or stage yeah fake sightings that's right one thing that is real we go to Loch Ness in Scotland where a Loch Ness monster hunter shock is apparent after a mystery 10-foot creature is spotted in the lock a uh, 59-year-old Ian O'Fadigan was shocked to spot a 10-foot wake on the surface of the lock as the infamous creature reportedly prowled the waters just beneath while he watched via webcam. 
This actually happened on December 30th, just before the new year. All right. Uh, the latest Loch Ness monster sighting shows a 10-foot wake on the surface as a creature prowls the waters just beneath, claims veteran Nessie hunter Ian O'Fadigan. Uh, the recording comes after Mr. O'Fadigan, who's all of 59 years old, said he was shocked to spot the fabled creature while watching the water via webcam. The clip was captured from a webcam maintained by Visit Inverness Loch Ness at Shoreland Lodges near Fort Augustus on the loch's southern shore. In the footage, a long wake is seen moving north to south against the current, traversing the camera's entire field of vision for four minutes. Usually wakes don't last that long, said Mr. O'Fadigan, who was shocked at the length of time. My first instinct of what it could be was this could be our resident monster. The disturbance of the wake on the surface of the water is 10 feet long in a singular line. And this length of disturbance is present throughout the whole four minutes. It's a movement of intent, not something meandering around in a given space. In his clip, which has been sped up for brevity, a wake is clearly discernible moving through the center of the lock. The monster hunter has already weighed up uh, the other potential culprits and remains convinced. He said, I don't think it's the behavior or i don't think it is the behavior and swimming tendencies of a seal its maneuverability says the same large fish cause wakes but this wake goes through a long stretch of water and this would make it an unlikely candidate so there you go he's convinced it was one more nessie sighting before 2024 got it in right before the end of the year right before the end of the year uh, it's time now for Ziggy's Picks. Of course, if you guys aren't familiar with what Ziggy's Picks are, it's simple. We've done a psychic experiment, human versus animal, animal versus right. human. Who can guess the most amount of NFL games correctly? And it's real simple. What the uh, what the dogs have done, they get presented with two pictures of two uh, two helmets. So they, okay. get, they get the NFL games, the entire slate of NFL games for the weekend. And they have to pick each game correctly or what they think the, the games are going to be. Bruiser and I pick the games as well each week, the entire slate of NFL games. And, of course, whoever's right is whoever's right. And some weeks the dogs beat the humans. Some weeks the humans beat the dogs. All right. Well, what was it this week? Well, this week, believe it or not, um, the dogs almost beat the humans. The dogs did beat the humans. It beat one human. Uh, Ziggy and Talia beat Bruiser. Did they? But they tied Timmy. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, we picked all 16 contests this week. Uh, Ziggy went 11 and 5. Talia went 11 and 5. Bruiser went 10 and 6. And I went 11 and 5 this week. Well done. You're right up there with the pups. That's right. And again, if you want to see all the results and who picked what game and, who, and what winner and what loser, uh, you can go to darknessradioshow.com, click on the Ziggy's Picks uh, tab, and you'll be able to see uh, who won what game and exactly what, what the breakdown is on every game and every win. Now, here are the percentages so far over the season, Jess. Now, I think it's the Rhine Institute that says in order to be psychic, you have to pick seven out of ten. Okay. In order to be psychic. Now, or, or a 700 percentage, pick percentage. Okay. Keep in mind, up until this point, we have, we have 
gone to pick 254 games in the NFL season. That's a lot of games. It's a lot, yeah. Okay. So far for the season, Ziggy's pick percentage is at 559. Whoa. It's pretty good for a dog, right? Pretty good for a dog. Ziggy is 142 and 112. Isn't that something? Yeah, I'm impressed. Talia is at a 535 pick percentage at 136 and 118. These dogs are clearly psychic. See? Bruiser is at 583, and he's uh, a 583 pick percentage. He's at 148 and 106. Well, way to go, Bruiser. And your boy here has a 626 pick percentage, 159 and 95. You're the most psychic of them all. Take me to Vegas, baby. I'll win you some money. <laughs> Just saying. So uh, you can see all that again by going to darknessradioshow.com slash Ziggy's Picks uh, or just go to darknessradioshow.com. Click on Ziggy's Picks. You'll be able to see uh, everything there. So there you go. Including this picture of uh, Ziggy across the banner. See, look at that. Ziggy. <laughs> Cute picture of Ziggy just taking a nap. A well-deserved nap after picking all those games. That's a lot of work for that, sure. That is a lot of work. That's that's for certain. All right. So last story of the day today. Um, you know, different people have their different beliefs. We've talked predictions. We've talked uh, in, in your athos, of course. And uh, and we've talked uh, we've talked all kinds of different things today. We're going to talk beliefs to end the program today. We've talked predictions. We've talked uh, all kinds of things of the mind. We're going to talk about traditions and beliefs. And we just got out of the Christmas season. We've we've yes. exited New Year's. We've done all of our traditions, Jess. For do you have a tradition for New Year's? Have you did you do the black eyed peas and ham and all that or or do you not do that? Did you eat no? You didn't eat twelve grapes on New Year's Eve or anything like that. No, I didn't do any of those things. We went to the neighbors. We came home at eleven thirty and opened a bottle of kid wine and toasted the children. There you go. There you go. That's a good one though. Well, there are some bizarre festive traditions out there. That happened around Christmas time, of course, around New Year's too. I figured I'd pull these as a fun little last story of things that people around the world believe in that may seem odd to you and I. All right. All right. There's one that sees a pooping log getting beaten up and fed every day. What? Yeah, I figured we'd... we'd <laughs> Talk about that is one of them. <laughs> a number of Spanish families protect an unusual log at Christmas time before hitting it with sticks and singing as it poops out presents as part of a long-standing festive tradition. A pooping log. A pooping log. Well, you know, you had Mr. <laughs> Hanky training your kid to poop. I mean, it... If you I'm not have, saying I don't like it. I've just never heard of it before. If you would have had the pooping log at Christmas, I think that would have been a nice bookend of the year. <laughs> just saying. Uh, the festive season is coming to a close after one too many Baileys, a whole tub of quality street, and so much gravy that your bloodstream is essentially made of the brown stuff. By gosh, we've got Christmas traditions. Everybody has their Christmas traditions, but in the UK, they're rather set in their ways. But when it comes to celebrating Christmas... 
They have habits, but in comparison to other countries around the world, they seem rather tame. We're rather tame here in the U.S. as well. Icelandic children don't get just one Santa Claus, Jess. They get 13 mischievous trolls roaming around the country a fortnight before Christmas. No, similar, that doesn't sound pleasant. No, it doesn't. They're similar to Snow White's seven dwarfs. Meanwhile, in Japan, families often... I can't believe that that's right. Families often tuck into KFC on Christmas Day. What? Where is that at? In Japan. They eat Kentucky Fried Chicken in Japan on Christmas Day. Yeah. What the heck? All right. Uh, Why not, I guess? I mean, I like a little Kentucky Fried Chicken, especially their mashed potatoes and gravy. Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. me too. Yeah. I I could go for their coleslaw anytime. The biscuits? Oh, yeah. But Christmas Day? No, not Christmas Day. Mm. Any other day. Yeah. And in Austria, they there is an evil Santa okay, okay, named Krampus. We know about Krampus, who is said to terrorize naughty children. But that's more beginning of December. That's that's December 6th. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Mexicans host a vegetable carving competition while in Norway, it's thought that Christmas Eve coincides with the arrival of evil spirits and witches. People in Ukraine typically decorate their trees with fake spider webs, which is said to bring good luck. It all sounds a little bit like Halloween. A little bit, yeah. One of the most unique traditions is in Catalonia, Spain, where they observe not one but two feces-related traditions. Here we go. Now we're getting down. Okay. Okay. (laughs) The first is a caganer, which means the pooper. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Which is a figure of a pantless man exposing his bum in poo used as part of the nativity scene. What? That seems sacrilegious. <laughs> uh, over the years, many celebrity names have been depicted as Kaganers. Some of the Kaganer was originally a portent of good harvest and fortune to come for the year ahead. I'm pretty sure if I tried to stick a figure of a man pooping in the nativity scene, my dad would be like doing an exorcism on me. <laughs> I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. Let me see if I get the name of this correct. The second tradition is the Cagatio de Nadal, which is named Cagatio. It's also known as the pooping log, which we led the article with. Uh, it's a figurine featuring a small wooden log with a grin on its face and a jaunty red hat that goes on the Christmas dinner table. You put a pooping log on the Christmas dinner table. Sure, sure. Why not, Jess? I mean, you know. At least he's happy. Probably feels good because he's about to poop. <laughs> <laughs> now, back in the day, an old log was all you needed. But now it's common for the pooping logs to come with one of their sides painted with a happy face. People must protect the cagatillo by keeping it under a blanket and feeding it nuts and sweets every day from December 8th until December 24th. Oh, my. So you have a poop log full of nuts. <laughs> It's a nutty turd. It is typical for Catalonians to beat it with sticks on Christmas Eve so it poops out presents while singing a song. Hanky the Christmas poo. Howdy ho! 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 Howdy
<laughs> Typically, relatives put gifts under the blanket for children. After everyone has collected their gifts, the family burns the wooden character for warmth. Oh, that's charming. If you're visiting the likes of Barcelona over the festive period, you will see the pooping log crop up at Christmas markets. So you can buy a pooping log. You don't have to make one. <laughs> and here's what the pooping log looks like, Jess. That's, that's what your pooping log looks like. Oh, it's really happy. It is happy, isn't it? It's adorable and so weird. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, December 8th, I want to know when the world is ending and you and Athos are cuddled up, will you have a pooping log instead of uh, a Christmas tree? Yes, and my husband will be beating him with it because... With the pooping log? Well, I'm, I'm asking on the, on the ISS. Uh, as oh, the world okay. is burning, will you have a pooping the world log? Is yeah. I think so. I yeah. mean, obviously, you have to have a pooping log. Right. Now that you know it's a thing, how are you going to have a Christmas without it? Right. I mean, because, I mean, there's not a lot of room on the ISS, so you can't really have a Christmas tree, so you might as well have a pooping no. log up there. Just a smiling pooping log full of nuts. <laughs> Feed it nuts and sweets <laughs> until the 24th. So, there you go. With that in mind, Jess, what do you have going on other than the Palmer house coming up this weekend, right? Yeah, that's our big event right now. Um, and other than that, my co-writer and I just signed two contracts for books that we have to finish up. We have a new book about monsters coming out in 2024. So you can be on the lookout for that, but yeah, I'll just be hiding away, writing, hiding in my hidey hole. There you go. <laughs> Hiding in your hidey hole. <laughs> Writing letters to Athos. Um, and then Letters to Athos. That's the name of the first book. Um, uh, we'll have a link to Jess's website so you can in the, in the description of the show so you can, uh, again, get tickets for that event for this weekend. Um, and by all means, join Jess out there at the Palmer House Hotel. And... Uh, Folks, join her for one of these trips. It's amazing. Uh, again, the creativity that happens on these trips, the the evidence you find on these trips, uh, and just the good time and the revelry on these trips is amazing. That's my favorite part, honestly. Yeah. The people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, again, check out everything Jess has to uh, offer there on her website. As far as I go, uh, I am off from KNSI. I will be up there next weekend. Uh, again, knsiradio.com if you want to hear me blabber about something other than paranormal. And honestly, happy birthday. Happy 18th birthday to Darkness Radio. You should be really proud of everything that you've done with this show. It's amazing. Well, again, not me. It's not me. A again, let's, let's give credit where credit is due. Credit is due to everyone who's ever come through these doors of the show and contributed something to this because it isn't a one-person effort. It, it really isn't. It's it's everyone who's ever added something to the soup, to the mix, to the stew, whatever you want to call it, to Darkness Radio. And and let's thank the people who continue to listen to this show from, you know, from podcast to podcast, from show to show. What's really cool is, is when I put up uh, the post on social media, different social media sites, where people who came came through and, and would post a comment and say, you know what, I've been listening since this time or this time or this time. Yeah. 
and said, you know what, I've been listening since 2006 or 2010 or I've been listening since, you know, for five years or however long they've been listening. But they had a certain moment that they've been listening since. So they have a certain person that they love listening to or, you know, they, they have their their memory or they have a reason they listen or they have a special reason they listen or there's just something that drew them to the show and holds them to the show. Yeah. Really the best fans. I've always said that in the eight years that I've been here, the people that I've met, not just like being on the show and co-hosting and that kind of stuff, but the fans that connect with you off of the show, they're all so lovely and nice and I feel like they're friends now. That's the crazy part. We, you never meet them in person um, unless you go to an event and they happen to be there. Um, but then when you do, it's also weird because you feel like you both know each other because you've been had this connection with each other. Oh, yeah. I, I so. have a lot of correspondence with a lot of the listeners who, who listen to the show. And and they are friends. Every single one of you are friends. Um, and I, I greatly appreciate the time that that you spend investing in this product and, and you take a lot of your hard earned time and it's free time that, and it's precious. I, we don't realize how short this life is and every single moment that you have that you aren't spending at work or sleeping. I mean, there's, there's very little time. You have a 30 year life that you spend awake and free. Let's, let's, let's consider yeah, that. Yeah. And you spend that precious time with us. So we greatly appreciate that. Um, and that isn't taken for granted. We don't we don't sit here and waste your time. We appreciate that you're spending it with us. So um, we greatly appreciate you. We thank you and appreciate that you're along with us for the ride for 2024 because we're going to have some fun and exciting shows coming up, folks. And really, really thank you for, for being here for uh, what is now season 19. Um, so, uh, Jess, I want to thank you for for all the all the contributions that that you've put into the show and again this this isn't a, a one person a one person deal it never has been um it's been a contribution in a stew and a soup of of a lot of different contributors and it's always been a team effort there's always been a team effort here so and will continue to be a team effort there's 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 no eye in in there isn't well there is an eye in darkness radio but it's not just a <laughs> it's it's a name only that's 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 all so folks on tomorrow's show we got a big show we're going to be talking about dreams and it's not dream interpretation this time this time we're going to talk about how we can get the monkey off our back in 2024 we're going to be talking about manifestation through our dreams and we're going to be talking about how we can actually turn our lives around in 2024 and get the best out of our lives through dreams. So actually harnessing the power of dreams and making things happen in our lives uh, here. And our guest for tomorrow is a man by the name of Athos. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I just wanted to. I wanted to do that for for Jess's <laughs> uh, benefit. Uh, our our guest is Michelle Clerk, and uh, he'll be talking to us tomorrow about the topic of uh, harnessing your dreams and making some of them reality. And I'm not talking about metaphorical dreams. I'm talking about actually falling asleep and having lucid dreams as well. So interesting yeah there's a lot there to talk about tomorrow so 
getting guidance from your dreams, guidance from your soul, uh, triggering your inner healer, how to work with a dream, um, soul work. There's a lot of that. And ancestors in your dreams. We'll talk about ancestors in your dreams as well. It's all coming up tomorrow on The Big Show. So, Michelle Clark tomorrow on The Big Show. No Athos, I'm sorry, Jess. It's not going to happen. I'll be listening in. This actually sounds more interesting than Athos. He's just a pretty face. Oh, okay. That's good. (laughs) So, for Jessica Freeberg, I'm Tim Dennis. Thank you so much for continuing to listen to the best in paranormal programming. This has been Darkness Radio.